Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change and give you ideas on how to take action. I'm your host, Adam Morris. This month, we are sharing stories about launching social enterprises to give you a picture of what it takes to get a social enterprise off the ground. Today, Cameron Cooper of Cooper's Refillery is joining us. Cooper's Refillery is a shining example of circular economy of plastics and rethinking sustainable production and consumption, a top objective on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Their innovation around developing refill stations for reductions of single-use plastics is going to help reduce our plastic use and save the environment. So I'm very excited to talk about the environment, plastics, and how we can change this. So Cameron, welcome on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and having this opportunity to share our journey and just uh, excite people about what we're doing and how we got started. Awesome. Can you just start off? Can we, you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, I'm originally from California, and I actually have a master's degree in biology where I focused on marine mammal conservation. So I got to be a researcher for northern elephant seals on the California coast. Um, it's unique, I know. So if you ever get a chance to go out that way or you're ever in that area, I definitely recommend checking it out. You can go to the beach and see them in their natural habitat. It's a really awesome place. Were you up around Monterey? Yeah, so I was. Um, I went to Cal Poly. It's a university in Central California, and we worked up near Big Sur. I don't know if you're familiar with that area yep. at all, but okay. yeah, it's a unique story how Cooper's Refillery got started. So, like I said, I have this degree in biology, and I was a field researcher. So we started a population monitoring program where we went out to see how many elephant seals there were, ideas of where they go, and how healthy the populations are. And so one of my jobs was to go and monitor where they are. And so when I would go down on the beach and during this field research, we noticed there was always plastic debris on the beach. And it's a bit stressful because that's such a remote area. So even when there's limited amount of people around, we still see that we humans have a huge impact on this wild space. And so one of the things I really have a passion for and I really wanted to um, contribute to the well-being of our environment was to reduce single-use plastics. And so that's the motivation behind Cooper's Refillery and why we decided to go this direction with our company. Fantastic. Yeah. So how did the idea get formed and tested? I live in the Netherlands now and my company is Dutch. So I've lived in the Netherlands for about a year now. Another unique story. And so partnering with a graduate student from the University of Technology, so TU Delft, and it's he's doing a graduate degree in industrial product design. And so we partnered up together. So it's this mix and match between a biologist and a designer who had this idea of reducing single-use plastics. And so he is a mastermind behind our refill station design. And we just moved forward with the idea and people are really excited about it. And it's just a passion of mine to help reduce single-use plastics. <laughs> I love it. So can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Yes, we're really new. So we actually started up in late 2020 along with the global pandemic raging. So that was also a challenge in and of itself. But so right now, we're just doing a bit of user research and testing our refill machines and seeing if customers are interested because the whole idea behind these refill stations was we wanted to make this service really accessible to people. So a lot of the time when people think about plastic waste, it seems like this very 
daunting problem. And there aren't really many good alternatives. A lot of the times the alternatives can be expensive or that it can actually cause more harm to the environment. So mm. we really used our refill stations as a way to fill that gap in the marketplace. We wanted it to be an easy and convenient way to refill liquid soaps and detergents. And so we thought we would empower people to be able to refill on their own. Can you share a bit just around why plastics are so bad? I'll try to keep it a little positive here because I think <laughs> a lot of people are really bogged down by the negative aspects of this problem. I will say that is it's a really huge growing concern among um, scientists and, and businesses and people in the community. And so one of the things is that only about 9% of plastic is recycled globally. It's really important to understand that this industry, the plastics industry and the way we design products, I think it needs a critical rethink in terms of how we're actually consuming this plastic. Another really surprising fact is that 40% of the plastics that are produced globally are actually only meant to be used a single time before they're thrown away. So it's the classic example of what we call the linear economy. So the linear economy is essentially what we do is we take the resources from the ground, we make the products, and then we throw them away. So it, it's like a fast track to the end of life or sort of what happens to it at the end. And, and typically that involves like landfilling or other not so environmentally friendly practices. So I think that people are really surprised often when we say, oh, only 9% of plastic is recycled. So we decided that instead of trying to manage the plastic waste, we wanted to stop it at the source. And so that was really the idea as well, is we wanted to assign a value to plastics. A plastic bottle theoretically could last you for 450 years to a thousand years. It's such a durable material and we just have no value in it in the current economy. Mm. So oil is really cheap and oil is what plastic is made from. And therefore, there's no incentive for companies to switch away from that because new plastic or virgin plastic is good economics, right? It's, it's cheap. And so we want to empower people to realize this plastic actually has value. And we can do that mm. through trying to bring it back into the economy. So that people aren't just using it and then throwing it out, but yeah. holding on to something which they can reuse over and over again. Exactly. One of the driving factors behind Cooper's Refillery is the principle of the circular economy. There's three principles of the circular economy, three main principles. So the first one is how can we design products to eliminate pollution and waste? So can we look at the materials that products are made of and can we make design decisions in order to maybe change the way that product is produced, right? Can we stop plastic at the source? The second principle of the circular economy is to give resources value. So keep them in the economy for as long as possible. So these are the reuse systems that our refill station takes advantage of. And then the third principle is basically regenerating natural systems. And so those are things like maybe switching to renewable forms of energy rather than using a coal power plant. So things like this to regenerate natural systems. Got it. So, so one is just redesigning the materials that you're using. Two is, is reusing those so you're not just throwing them away. And <laughs> yeah. three is looking for like natural ways of, of 
using either energy or materials that will continue to grow back and not be a just a drain on removing it from the planet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. What's the history behind the circular economy? I think I'm not exactly sure, but I I think it stems from environmentalists and economists, and they're just trying to find a different way of consuming products. I believe it comes from the fact that it's so expensive. It the the burden on governments and people to constantly clean up the waste that we're producing is astonishing when you think about how much money goes into recycling facilities and waste management companies and all these different aspects of dealing with a product at the end of its life. So I think it was just an organization that grew out of making smarter economic decisions about how we use materials and also environmentalists that looked at the amount of pollution and waste that we were creating and and thought, how can we do this differently? What are ways that we can change the cycle from the linear economy, so the make waste model to reusing materials and assigning value to our precious resources. Personally, I've heard a lot about the zero waste economy and things individuals can do to eliminate the waste that they're generating. Quite often, that's a very individual approach of here's what I can do as a person and my own habits. It seems like the circular economy is shifting that focus a little bit to the businesses. Yeah. Why does that make sense? I think it takes a a large collaboration of people to change. So individuals can make a huge difference, but I think involving governments and economies and so many more change makers across different fields and making it very interdisciplinary is a really good way to actually effectuate change in that respect. So I think it it takes a huge collaboration of tons of different people. And I think the citizens actually have a very important role because they tell businesses what they're interested in buying based on their buying decisions. So if we are putting pressure and we're demanding that businesses innovate and we're demanding, hey, we want sustainable products, I think that's really creating a shift in the business culture. And a lot more companies are interested in innovating in a circular way and creating alternatives to single-use plastics and taking greater responsibility for what they produce. So I think it just takes time, but I'm, I'm very optimistic about the path that we're on. Have you found there's a community around other people that are involved in the circular economy? Yeah, absolutely. There's so many great resources out there. One of my favorites is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. They're just brilliant. They put out so many resources for people that are interested in innovating. So small businesses, how large corporations can change their policies. And they just have so much information about the basics, about what is the circular economy. Because sometimes I feel that's a little bit unapproachable for people as well, but they make it really easy to read and, and really easy to digest and understand. And I think just resources like that are really critical for people to just educate themselves. And I I think I'm optimistic again, (laughs) that people are going to be able to do that. (laughs) I love that. Um, So with Cooper's Refillery, how are you estimating the impact that you'll be able to make? Yeah, that's another like really important thing for our company. We wanted to not just say, hey, we're having a positive impact, but we wanted to prove it. So It brings us back to the first principle of the circular economy, making very important design decisions at the first outset. So we actually did a um, sustainability analysis where we analyzed every single life cycle stage of our product. We went from, okay, how do we get the materials? What are the materials made from? How are the materials manufactured? How is our product assembled? 
How is it used and how is it thrown away at the end of its life? And we essentially used a carbon dioxide as an equivalent for estimating our environmental impact at each life cycle stage. So then we had this big analysis and we looked back and we said, hey, can we change some of these materials? Can we limit the electronics? What actually is the impact of transportation for this refill station? So we we did a huge quantitative analysis about how impactful our product is going to be. So we really wanted to instill confidence that we would have a positive environmental impact. And so with that analysis, we actually found out that we can save about 40 kilograms of plastic for every station for every year that it's in use. And so that's something that's really important for us. And again, it's the the mission behind this whole endeavor is the impact that we want to have. We really want to reduce those single use plastic waste and try to bring as many plastics back into the economy and out of our environment. So that's Mm -hmm. the goal. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize if you go to the store and you purchase something, and you use it once and you throw it out, that's only one part of the waste that went into that item, right? The whole production process, the transportation process, holding things moving, then creates waste along all different stages. So being able to analyze that as your company, here are the different stages that I'm going through and what my impact is at each of those stages, that's huge. And quite often that impact is an order of magnitude more than what the end consumer sees Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to do that work on our end so that we could really say definitively, hey, this is a a good alternative to single-use plastics. Because sometimes, often, like I said before, there are limited options for an alternative, right? So sometimes we see uh, some materials like bamboo that is mixed with plastic. Oh my God, that's really stressful for me because when you mix those two materials, it's actually worse for the environment because they can't be separated out at the end of their life cycle stages. So they actually just end up in the landfill because we we don't have the infrastructure to process that material at the end of its life. Like we can't take any value from that material because it's just this mashup of different types of materials like bamboo and plastic. So I I would avoid that if you're a consumer. I would avoid buying products that are that mashup of things. What are some other things that consumers should look out for? As the need for sustainability grows, and there are a lot of amazing companies really making a change, I would just be a little wary of misleading marketing, something like, Uh, 100% compostable. The thing I think of, my alert bells go off a little bit because in order to compost that fully, you need specialized equipment. It needs to be done in like an industrial composter. And I don't know how many municipalities or cities actually have access to that equipment. So often, yeah, theoretically it's compostable, but sometimes that slips through the cracks and that ends up just becoming waste again. So I think designing at the very first stages of the product for companies is really critical to try to ensure that you're having an, a positive environmental impact on things. We had a, a guest on the podcast from Zero Waste Productions where they go to events and they overhaul the materials that are used there so that all the vendors are using compostable materials that they can then go to the event, capture that waste and deal with it specifically. But they mentioned the same thing of you need to do this in bulk and you need to have access to that in order to make that happen. So it's not like a general consumer can buy this stuff and then get that same impact. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. And some companies are doing it well. And so that's probably an example of a company that that really understands the process behind it and what materials and, and how it gets composted. But I think people take advantage of customers in terms of, oh, this looks great. It's compostable without actually knowing that they're, they have no intention of composting it in that way. Yeah. So I think that's something to look out for. And there's a difference when you go to a music concert where you can collect all the trash and sort it there and you know exactly what those materials are that you're looking for and do that in bulk as opposed to trusting individuals to follow some sort of pattern on their own where everyone's very different and at different stages of accepting what they can do for the environment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. So coming back to Cooper's refillery, I'd love to hear just where you are right now and what you're doing to validate. Yeah. So where we are right now is we have a beautiful computer model. So we have this amazing refill station where we can show customers how it looks, how it works. And we are in the process of prototyping it. So we're really excited to build it. So we're in the process of gathering the materials and, and building it so that we can actually do some user testing on it. So user testing would consist of people coming down and maybe just trying it out and seeing, oh, hey, I like press the button or no, I don't want to press this button or does it fit the bottle? So just little small tweaks in the design is what we're, we're looking to do next. And so we're really excited that we're going to start prototyping our station soon. And we hope to have these refill stations on to, into the marketplace um, by the end of this year or early next year. That's our goal for ourselves. And so I think it's a pretty ambitious goal to try to get that ready to go so people can start reusing. <laughs> I, I love that. So now you said your background was in biology. Um, what have you had to learn around product design in order to develop this? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Pretty much everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent uh, the first six or seven months of this just reading everything I could get a hold of and learning all these new design softwares. I learned Adobe InDesign and I learned Photoshop and Illustrator. So all these really amazing programs that I never knew existed. So it's been a really amazing journey for me just to learn how to do all of these things. And I've been working really closely with my partner and he's been teaching me how to use 3D modeling software and different aspects of the design process. And so I, I found that really inspiring because someone that might not have a background in design, you can find the right partner and you can really make your idea come to life and work in a unique way. So I think that's encouraging for a lot of other social entrepreneurs that really don't know where to start. I would just suggest reading everything, learning as much as possible and working with the right people. Something I've seen from a lot of social entrepreneurs is that typically they don't know everything, right? Well, I mean, who knows everything? <laughs> um, you have some area that you're passionate about and there's a lot to fill in. Yeah, absolutely. And the other important thing that I think I really learned was in order to succeed, you really need to have a financial plan that makes sense, that works. So I think that's sort of an overlooked part of this whole social entrepreneurship. Everyone has an impact mission, but not always a way to get there financially to be able to support yourself and also to be able to invest the, those profits. So one of the things we want to invest our profits back into is policy and trying to effectuate change on that level and have an influence in 
what happens <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> yeah, it's really important to also be a financial planner. So I also learned those skills and all those kind of analyses. And how complicated is that to build a financial model for a product <laughs> you haven't even developed yet? <laughs> yeah, it's surprisingly good. It's It all comes down to making really um, solid assumptions, like using assumptions that are very fact-based as much as possible. And there's still assumptions, but really trying to do as much research as possible and say, okay, what's reasonable in this situation. I think we have a pretty solid idea of where we are right now with the financials of our company. So that's also a really, a really good feeling. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think just making strong assumptions based on empirical data and as much as you possibly can. Got it. Great. What sort of support have you gotten from either the community or other mentors or, or players in this space? I've gotten a lot of support. I think that people are so open to social entrepreneurs that they're always solving a problem. I've gotten quite a lot of support and a lot of community building. And I think that honestly, the biggest thing is just to ask the question. So if you email someone and you say, hey, I have this question, would you be willing to help me out? I think a lot of people are really receptive to that. And that's how I found the best strategy of building relationships and access to mentors. And I've also applied for a lot of business challenges. So that's another really good resource is look at business challenges in your area for plastics innovation and just see what comes from it. And I think, yeah, just utilizing the community is a really important piece to this. How do you find those business challenges? You just Google them. <laughs> yeah. So one of my mentors who's been helping me and giving me feedback on some things, she said, hey, why don't you just try to look for business challenges? And there are these networking opportunities where you can apply and, and then you go through a, a period of a course or sort of an event. And at the end, you're able to pitch your idea to different investors and different people. And yeah, I, I think they're pretty abundant. You just have to know where to look. And I think they're pretty easy to find once you know what to look for. <laughs> so when you moved to the Netherlands, what did you find about their local efforts towards sustainability and, and how did that compare to what you saw in California? It's, it's very similar to California, I would say. California is, I think, very forward thinking in the U.S. There's a lot of sustainable practices and a lot of movements towards becoming more sustainable because we have a lot of resources, like the ocean is right there. And so I think a lot of people are motivated to protect where they live. Um, and so I think that drives it. But in the Netherlands, it, it's just a wonderful place because there's so many opportunities here because I, I think it it's a contribution of lifestyle. So a big thing in the Netherlands is biking. So that's how everyone gets around everywhere. It's really insane. So everyone owns a bike and that's just the main mode of transport. So I think it, it really contributes to an active lifestyle. And I think that's important. And one other thing I'll say about the Netherlands is it's quite small compared to California. I think it's 10 times smaller than California. We're really small country and we're really densely populated. And so I think that is important to understand why they feel the need to conserve their resources and put more money into innovation and sustainability because they have such a limited space and they have such a dense population that I think it's necessary to transition in that way. I think having densely populated areas makes a lot of sense for just rethinking how people move around and, and get access to things. But I think there's also just a little bit more of an immediate impact of seeing changes in your community and how that affects the environment around you. 
Yeah. And I think Amsterdam is also really amazing for innovation and sustainable living and zero waste. And yeah, they're really forward thinking here. Yeah. They have so much going on. I remember I was an exchange student in high school in, in Germany, and I was just blown away by the not just recycling that they did, but also reuse of bottles. So they would actually take their glass bottles and then have a mechanism for not needing to melt the glass down, but to actually have a way of, of cleaning it and reusing those bottles to conserve yes. that energy. And I, I was just, that's like an idea when you look at it makes a lot of sense, but it's, I think, not something that a lot of people think about. Very cool. So what's your vision going forward for Cooper's Refillery? Yeah. So my vision going forward is just to save as much plastic as we can. And eventually we would love to expand to other countries um, within Europe and also into the U.S. because um, I'm from California. So we want to bring this option to people in the U.S. Um, we would love to be in as many countries as possible. So our biggest goal is to just give access to this refill option to as many people as possible, just to empower everyone to do their part in refill and assign value to that plastic. So that's our long-term goals is to expand internationally. So we're starting off in the Netherlands as a pilot and then, yeah, we hope to expand. Got it. Now, do you have a timeline for your initial pilot? Yeah, so we were going to pilot our stations in the Netherlands for about a year. And then if we gained traction and people were really excited, then we would start expanding to other European countries within Western Europe and then eventually to the U.S. So we're hoping to be in the U.S. maybe by 2024, 2025, that time frame. <laughs> yeah, so that's a long-term goals. But you have to have short-term goals too. Our short-term goals is to just get this prototyped and and ready. And so I think as... A business owner, I think short-term goals are equally as important as long-term <laughs> goals just to keep yourself on track and really building towards something. Yeah, no, that seems like a lot of effort just to be able to flesh out an initial product design, get that feedback so you can develop a product that works. Oh, yeah. I've been working very hard on this company for the last uh, you know, couple months and learning everything and getting everything ready. So it, it's been a journey. Got it. Now, you said you started this last year in the midst of COVID. How has that impacted everything that you're doing? Yeah, it's actually been okay for us just because we were so new. I had to do sort of the legwork to be able to even get this station to a point where we could prototype it. So I think for us, thankfully, it wasn't a huge impact. I think we're starting to see some more of the impacts now when we want to have people interacting with our station. So we have to find a clever way to do that. And we've also made it we baked coronavirus into our design. So we have a system where you don't have to touch anything on our station. You can just put your bottle up and it will fill automatically. And then the machine will print a sticker and then that sticker can be scanned at the checkout. And so that's a really interesting thing that we've needed to contend with. Like, how do we make it so that people feel comfortable using our station during Corona times? And so that's been an interesting challenge. <laughs> but yeah. for the most part, I think we've fared pretty well with it. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, that's almost great to have in your design up front rather than trying to yeah. and put that in down the road. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so fantastic. We've covered a lot of ground here. So we started off when we talked a little bit about what's going on with plastics and why single use plastics are such a problem. And we talked a bit about what the circular economy is and, and what it means to actually 
put to use plastics in a way where you're assigning value to them and you're using them over and over again. We talked about what you're doing with Cooper's Refillery, kind of your design process and your thinking and how you've been developing that. I'm just curious if you have any words of wisdom for other people who are thinking about starting something that's going to make an environmental impact. What's a good place for people to really go to sink in their teeth and and get started? Yeah, I would say find an environmental issue that you're really passionate about. I would say that it's it's super important because waking up every day and doing something that you love, I think is half the battle. Because if you choose an issue that you're not excited about or you don't know too much, it, it might be hard to motivate to actually get started with something. So I think at the core of it, make sure you're really passionate about it. And I would just read as much as you can about the topic and really try to think outside the box. When I started, I didn't know anything about the circular economy. So I just like said, how do we design products was a Google search. (laughs) And so just understanding that aspect of things, I think, is a really good starting point. Another thing that I would say as, as advice is don't be afraid to acknowledge when you can't do something alone. So I think a lot of people really try, okay, I'm going to try alone. I'm going to be really hard on myself if it doesn't work out. But I think reaching out to people and just saying, hey, I, I would love to learn this from you. Do you have time? I think people are really receptive to that. And you find a lot of connections and partners and potential mentors in that way. So I think just gaining a network is where I would start having an idea that you're behind and passionate about and then reaching out to people. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So how do people find out about Cooper's Refillery? We have this amazing website. It's coopersrefillery.com. And a fun fact about this website is that I actually learned how to code. So we built the whole website from the back end. We used like some fancy coding skills. And I'd never done anything like that before, but it turned out really amazing. Coopersrefillery.com is where you can find us and LinkedIn at Cooper's Refillery. Yeah. And then you can always email me too. So if any questions come up or you want to learn more, there's a contact page on our website for you to shoot us any questions. And yeah, definitely don't hesitate to reach out because I'm one of those people. If you just reached out and said, Hey, I want to learn something, I would totally give you my time (laughs) and help you out. That's fantastic. I love that. And it's a beautiful website, just a very dynamic image of like how everything fits together and works, which is really cool. It's a very nice uh, visual <laughs> representation of, of what the process looks like. Yeah, I and hope the, we made it easy to like understand how it works and, and what it is. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening, I, I recommend going and checking it out because it, it just really drives home what Cooper's Refillery is about and what they're doing and shows exactly what they've developed so far, which is, is really cool. I've just really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing more about what you're doing. But that's also very inspiring, just knowing that when you started, you didn't have a background in product development and you've been able to learn all of this stuff and actually put it to good use to to change how people can do business going forward. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking as well. A huge thanks to Cameron for taking the time to share her story today. You can find out more about Cooper's Refillery at coopersrefillery.com or in the show notes on peoplehelpingpeople.world. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really hope that you got some inspiration here on what you can do to launch your own social enterprise and get started, even if you don't have all the pieces in place. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.